Hey everyone, this week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, Hello TV. Hello TV is your one-stop turnkey production house for anything that you will need during these COVID times. You need to do a live stream? Hello TV has you covered. You need to do a tiny desk concert video for an application? They got you covered. You need to do a fucking music video? They got you covered. Hello TV That's H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V dot com. Based in Nashville, but they will travel. If you're an artist, if you're a band, and you need some new content, and you want to be able to do it safely, Hello TV and their great team have you covered. H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V dot com. Take a look at what they've done and see what they can do for you. Hello TV dot com. All right, let's get started with the podcast. Let's go.
Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast, the first Berman Hour podcast of the Biden administration. And fuck, it ain't perfect, right? It, it's never going to be. But as we strive for that more perfect union, God damn, does it feel good. God damn, does it feel good to not have to be thinking about that fucker every day and wondering what the fuck he's going to do next. I feel relaxed. I feel somewhat optimistic and confident in a Biden-Harris administration. I'm curious if you do too. Hit me up on Instagram at the Berman Hour. Send me a DM or my very public email address, thebermanhour at gmail.com. Also, if you have any ideas for guests, people that you would like me to interview, please shoot it my way. Let me know. Thebermanhour at gmail.com. My guest this week is a return. My best friend, John Marullo, as we break down all four nights, the four decades of bad religion. Now, since COVID happened and certain artists have done way too many live streams that have been of subpar quality, some of them maybe are hosting this podcast. That's neither here nor there. I can neither confirm or deny Divided Heaven's involvement in such events. However, a lot of bands have really killed it. Uh, our sponsor, Hello TV, who I also do work for, um, are part of that wave, that revolution, if you will, of doing live streams that sound great and look great and really exemplify and highlight the talented people that we have that are able to do this in the United States. Now, when Bad Religion, my favorite band, announced that they were going to do four of these, I was beyond excited, and I got tickets right away, and I enjoyed all four of them. Me and my fellow Bad Religion nerd, my Bad Religion cohort, my ride or die, my best man, my best friend, John Marula, we're going to break down these four shows. Some surprises, some highlights, maybe even some disappointments. We really haven't talked too much about it, but I wanted to save it for the pod because I know that a lot of our listeners are like John and I in that they are absolute fanatics for bad religion. They're bad religion nerds. Some are record collectors. I've heard from a few of them, which is fantastic. And we wanted to break it down. Now, Bad Religion did four shows. John and I will talk about them, and we really hope that you enjoy it. All right, I'll see you on the other side. Let's get it. All right, so I guess the first question to ask you is if you had a favorite night of the four nights. That's a tough one. I don't even think I prepared for that. <laughs> prepared for that question of all the things to prepare for. I, <laughs> hmm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This could change. So just like Bad Religion Records change with what your favorite one is, as you and I have talked about. I think that my favorite I think it was the 90s, actually, maybe closely followed by the 2000s. I think so, too. The 90s was my favorite because it yeah. had the songs that I wanted to hear from the records that I wanted to hear the most. Right. I mean, you got I mean, you got you had five you had five Grey Race alone. I know that Grey Race is your personal favorite record. I mean, you even got one from No Substance, which. I think some people were even surprised the one made it. Um, and I know you were disappointed that not that more than one did not make it uh, to the list there, but it was a good, it was a good one for sure. Yeah. I mean, I give them a lot of credit. They tackled every one of their 17 records and 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe, it was presumptuous of me to think that they were going to do that. But then when they actually did that, I was quite surprised. How about you? I don't think I was as much surprised as I was, um, I think, overjoyed by it. I mean, this is a band that is legendary for knowing um, many, many songs and has, I think, has always been really good about celebrating uh, their entire discography or close to it. Because if you see Bad Religion on any given night, the set lists are going to be slightly different. And I think by the my rough calculation back of back of the napkin or really back of the sticky note, if you will, I think they played about, I think 77 songs total. Wow. They played with, wow. I think, with the different nights, some nights being 16 or 20 or 19. And I mean, that's covering, that's covering a lot. And I think they covered just about everything that you wanted to cover. Sure, there's going to be songs that you didn't get to hear. And I think I liked in the closing credits, they would play songs that they did not perform. And so you get it there, you know, that, that kind of wink, wink, that the love for those, the love for those songs. But I think they, uh, in, in a world, in a COVID, in a COVID world where people and the entertainment industry is trying to figure out um, what kind of content to bring people, it's as simple as you know, Bad Religion wrote good songs a long time ago and they still write good songs now. And good songs always make their way through. And no matter if they're playing in front of a thousand people or playing in front of an empty, uh, um, empty venue in Los Angeles for to stream out to the world. Yeah, I was quite impressed to, you know, every episode was covering a decade, the 80s, 90s, aughts, and 10s. And each one had opening credit sequences that was just this barrage slash collage, if you will, of video content from the decade that had to do with major things that were happening in the world and in the country at that time to the setting of Bad Religion. And in a way, it kind of epitomized the timelessness of the band and of the music, even though it was specific to a decade and the things that they were talking about. During the Trump era, bandmates have talked you know, pretty regularly about how well a number of the songs in their catalog have aged because what they wrote about became true. 21st Century Digital Boys is one that comes to mind quickly. And here we are. It was more of a retrospective than I expected it to be. I kind of thought they were just going to plug in and play through the songs and people would be pleased. And and you and I would have been pleased with whatever because we love the songs and we love the band. But between the interview footage, the opening credits, the ending credits, the levity that they had kind of throughout all of the episodes – the little bit of rehearsal footage that they had, which showed them just being human beings with one another. It really reminded me of our previous conversation where, first of all, it was all really well done, but it reminded me of our previous conversation when we were talking about the book. And I brought up the idea that, that bad religion is a band that didn't really lift up the curtain too much. You know, they became really, really popular before the age of the internet and social media. So they weren't oversharing everything in the way that a lot of artists feel like they need to do now in order to get ahead and become popular. And so to see them just fucking around in band practice was some of my favorite moments. And it was such a brilliant way, in my opinion, to break up the barrage of their set. Because when you're watching them play live, at a venue and with a crowd, you just you want to get hit nonstop with the, with the songs. But 
adding that provided a little bit of reprieve and relief and sometimes comic relief to a, a band that isn't really known for that. What do you think about all that? Well, I think it's um, it's always nice to be brought uh, to be brought in a little bit. You don't need to be brought all the way in. You didn't need to watch a whole band practice, but just seeing how uh, there, there was one, I think it was in the, in the, in the, the 2010s, the aughts, I forget what we actually call it, where uh, Jamie and Greg are trying to, you know, they're figuring out how to nail the harmony part. The harmony. Yeah. And the, 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 the pragmatic approach in, in, in service to these songs and not saying like, Hey, that's wrong. It's just saying we want to, we want to perform the song the best as possible. So let's, Let's make sure that we are we're locked in here, and they didn't even have to say that. They're just they are they are um, they always have a duty on these songs to um, you know Brian Brian Baker talks about this uh, a bit in the book and talks about it in the documentary. Uh, sorry, in the the streaming as well. That the idea that it's their responsibility to take care of this monument that is bad religion right. and not fuck it up. And making sure that their songs are locked in. I mean, with this, uh, it's always, it's always, it's always disappointing when any of us see a, a band that's been around for a long time and they're they're mailing it in. And Bad Religion is the exact opposite of a band mailing it in. And just seeing them hang out, or they're you know Brian ripping a uh, ripping a Van Halen riff, or <laughs> you know talking through things like that. And yeah, Bad Religion has not. I think because they came of age in a time when people were not as either into punk ephemera or didn't have access to that punk ephemera. And now that you have access to, you know, I, any of us can go on the bad religion page or a Wikipedia article or um, that these things are celebrated just a little bit more, I think makes fans like you and me that much more stoked and, and invested that we've spent this much time uh, with this band. Right, right. Well, let's dive in. The first episode was the eighties. Mm-hmm. And they played 21 songs. Do you want to hit us with the breakdown of the record, or do you want me to? I think we had four songs from How Can Hell Be Any Worse, seven from Suffer and No Control a piece, one song, the, 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 the Dichotomy from Into the Unknown, and then one song from the first Bad Religion EP, Bad Religion, and one song from Back to the Known, which was Along the Way for, yeah, 21 songs total. And I think that was, uh, I felt like the, it felt like the 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 episode of the uh, I guess we call it episodes that the pedal was to the metal the 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 entire time if you were because you're hearing you know an, an amazing twenty twenty version of fuck Armageddon that you know if anyone has seen Bad Religion any time over the last you know twenty five thirty years you've heard that song but then there's other songs like Latchkey Kids and um, uh, you know, Big Bang and other songs that maybe you hear here and there, uh, but on any given night, you might not hear it. So I thought it was really cool to hear some of those songs because I, you know, How Can Hell Be Any Worse? I think we talked about this in our last conversation that that was the second Bad Religion record that I got in 1996 on on cassette tape. So those songs have a particular affinity to those songs, especially played to the precision and the fidelity of the sound with this lineup of the band sound, you know, amazing. Exactly. I wanted to piggyback off that and just say seeing this version of Bad Religion play the old version of Bad Religion songs is remarkable because Mm -hmm. the musicianship is top top notch and 
you can hear everything. I mean, we can get a better quality live streaming audio sample right now practically than anything that we could have gotten on tape in the 80s, or at least what most punk bands were doing, right? So to hear the songs like Bad Religion or Latchkey Kids or even some of the the later 80s stuff that I think it just kind of sounds good live, like Henchmen or No Control, uh, Big Bang, Give You Nothing. I was very pleased, as you will know, I was very pleased to hear the dichotomy from Into the Unknown. Now, they played that on the last tour, that they did yes. before the world went to shit. So I kind of figured yeah. they were going to dive into it. They did have a little bit of docu footage about them talking about that record. And it just, again, it reminds me of the previous conversation that we had where it's like, yeah, it's it, it, their effort to ignore it only made the elephant grow. And now the elephant is so big that when they're doing any sort of retrospective they have to discuss it as opposed to just playing the song only and not discussing it they have to play the song and add the tidbit of docu footage to be a footnote as well uh which i quite enjoyed yeah i mean i think they know that they have you know the people that love bad religion you know you and me included uh lots of friends that we have my friend daniel and in South Florida is a huge Bad Religion fan. My friend Ariana, um, Ariana in uh, DC is a huge Bad Religion fan. We talk about these things, about these songs, about that um, that we know things about these records or uh, Into the Unknown. You always heard these rumors about these records or, you know, they played the, they played two songs for the New America, which as we talked in our last conversation, you know, it was a special record to me because that, that was the record that really reintroduced me to to Bad Religion, and they played two songs from it. I think Let It Burn, that was the first time they ever performed it live, and I thought it was just sounded flawless. And I think they know that they know they have these records like Suffer and No Control that are absolute classics uh, in the genre, and people love those records, and the, those songs are so well-known. But then there's people like yourself who loves No Substance, or me that loves The New America, and that those records are special to the people that love the band too, that they paid they paid homage to it. It wasn't just lip service. It was like, let's, let's play these songs and let's play them well. Right. Let's move on to the nineties. Something that I enjoyed immensely from this decade are the records that seemingly they don't like as much primarily no substance. And what I thought would be the gray race, the gray races had some sort of resurgence. And I think as well within the ranks of the people in the band, they seem to be more apt to play those songs on, recent tours and like you said earlier they played five songs off that record on this night the uh, second of four and i really was i was going to say struck because i was just reading that they played struck a nerve which was also a nice touch i really liked how they discussed what went into recording no substance what went into recording the new america and how they really tried to differentiate the experience. I believe it was Jay Bentley said something to the effect of, I can't go back to Ithaca to make another record. I'm going <laughs> to fucking die if I do it, right? And yeah. it just it just echoes the, the darkness of No Substance with the brightness of the New America. The New America is, you know, I think about these records as this colorful record, and you think about that period, sort of the, the solo, the, the, the time period where Graffin was the, principal songwriter and they talk about this in the book but the yeah you know, gray race like they had the nail the gray racer greg had to nail 
the great great the great race and he did i mean that record that record holds up that record still that record could have been recorded yesterday it just sounds amazing yeah. and the songs are awesome and they're as a f- full record is probably it's 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 better than no substance and it's better than new america i might actually prefer the new america but you know just like looking here i think it was uh you know five songs from the gray race one song from no substance and two from the new america on you know that's in the next episode but that they and that they did those songs i thought just again backs up a lot of what we've been talking about so far right so this in the 90s they had one song from no substance two from stranger than fiction two from generator three from recipe for hate five from the gray race and six from against the grain when i look back at this list now it's quite surprising there are a lot of really great sleeper deep cuts on stranger than fiction sure and i would have thought that they would have used that as a means to play some of those but they didn't and i was quite pleased with this set list um, you know, the 90s are when they had their their hits, I guess. You know, Sorrow is in the next episode. Um, but this is really where they had their their big hits, and they covered them here, and then some. What are some standout tracks for you from this 90s episode? I mean, I think one that you covered already was uh, Struck a Nerve. I thought that was the best song from this um, this episode and, and recipe for hate is not one of my favorite records or there are some people that I know that is, that is their favorite, absolute favorite record. And I thought they just absolutely, uh, nailed it on there. I think, um, them, uh, taking two, taking two times to, to nail the song against the grain. I thought was cool. I thought the song sounded awesome, but I thought it was cool that they left it in there. They could have easily just edited that out and, yeah, gone, nice. gone for it again, but showing that bands are not perfect things. And I think we've all maybe not, 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 not you and me, for example, cause we, we have, we've, we've played in bands and, and write songs and traveled and stuff like that. But, and, um, but I think a lot of people out there, something has, there's been a premium put on hearing music that is, uh, perfect, which ends up being sterile and not having that emotion to it. And that you're watching one of, uh, this great band say, nah, we're, we're going to do, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. And we're going to leave this in here to show you or like different, like little mistakes in there. And then them, them laughing a couple times on stage and stuff like that. I thought was, uh, I thought was a nice touch to, to leave it in there. Cause it's, these are these songs and these bands are living, breathing, uh, things. Yeah. The standouts for me, clearly the tracks off the gray race, particularly the streets of America and come join us. I particularly also liked Flat Earth Society because that song has seemingly more of a prevalent meaning in 2021 than it did in 1990 when it was released. Something that my wife laughed out loud about that I wasn't sure if if it was taking me out of the moment or not was when they kept fucking up the the year in which Against the Grain came (laughs) out. Yeah. And the editor kept doing the sequence with the dings and the dings and every time they corrected it. And then finally he just said ding and the screen went black and it just said, I give up. I that thought was... that was really funny, but I, I couldn't, I, I was like, ah, I, it, am I, should I allow this to take me out of the moment? I think it's just, you know, after so many months of being, you know, held captive, I, I think I just wanted to feel as if I was really at a show, but. I think I was overthinking it. What are your thoughts on on that kind of 
comedic spot? I thought it was great. And I watched I watched each of these episodes twice. And I thought it was even funnier the second time around that. Again, that was something they could have they could have corrected and, and stopped. Uh, stopped Jay and Greg from having that conversation, but they left it in there because showing the true personality of those band members. So the, you know, you're really seeing these personalities of Jay and Greg. These two these two guys have known each other for forty years doing this band across its different uh, its different lineups, its different periods. Again, as we talked at the top, that showing these different episodes through history and these two guys are the constants through that. And that they're, they're, they're not even arguing. They're saying like, no, this record was done 91. I think it was well, okay. Recorded in 90. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. They kept was, doubling down and getting it doubly it was, wrong. It was almost like the, like the, these meta nerdy conversations that like you, you and I, you and I are having, I mean, even talking for people who listened to our last uh, episode in time together, there was the feedback was, wow, it was a, it was a good conversation or, wow, you guys really are fucking nerds about this band. And it was, uh, I thought that the conversation they were having on stage was almost this mere meta of like two people arguing over um, uh, the, you know, the veracity of bad religion in the 1990s versus the veracity of bad religion in the the 2000s. Then they're arguing over this one little detail, which I'm sure people at home, like you and I were like, no, no, against the grain came out in November, 1990, (laughs) like yelling at the computer, yelling at the screen. And, you know, they're probably like, "Eh." You know, so I, I, I thought it was good uh, that anytime you see the humanity and these things that like you see yourself in um, music and bands, I think that's part of the why uh, any of us engage with uh, records and bands and musicians. Let's move on to the next episode. I actually have a little bit of a gripe about the 2000s. OK, let's 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 see. Let's, let's lay this gripe down. Let me let me see if I have the same gripe. It's very minute. But nonetheless, Social Suicide is a great song. I let them, sure, it's a great opener, whatever. I thought this set kind of started off a little bit dull. It was, the curtain came up and it just seemed like they were spent. You know, it it was the first time that I was watching it. And this was the third episode of the four for those keeping track at home. This was the first time where I was watching it and I felt, oh, maybe we're not getting the A game tonight because this just feels like they know it's a live stream. And it just, in the moment, for some reason, it just felt less important than the two previous shows. Yeah, I I would say that I, I wouldn't identify it for me as a gripe, but I noticed a similar, I noticed a similar thing. I, I love the song Social Suicide uh, from... Um, from from Empire Strikes First, but the I was like, okay, cool. And then went, went right into Los Angeles is burning. But dear, dearly beloved was a little. They didn't they, they didn't stick the landing as as we say sometimes there. And I, I I was a little disappointed in that. But that's more of like one of those kind of nerdy things where it's like, well, if I was in the audience, as the last time I saw Bad Religion was in was in Brooklyn when I was traveling in New York. And who knows if you know. You're you're you. This is the problem also with streaming is that you're able to hear it from your living room and you can you can vibe on it or you can you can judge it or whatever you want to do. I thought when they went into the next song, Let It Burn from the New America, I thought that's where that's where the set list like all of a sudden got a huge bump. You almost uh, you could feel it and then just nailing that song. And then then from there going into 
uh, four songs in a row from the process of belief, I thought is where it really came together for me. Yeah, I agree. In in a similar moment, the second to last song, Bored and Extremely Dangerous, which is a beautifully dark, twisted song. Yeah. It's the closer to the process of belief. I thought they executed it well, but there's a part on the recording of the song mm-hmm. where they have these special effects. It almost sounds like a fever dream, and then this telephone rings, and then this other phone rings, and then the song comes back. And they kind of uh, mimicked that with you know noises that they could make with their mouths while they were doing this. And it kind of took me out of the moment. I don't know. The song is so good, I, it didn't ruin it for me or anything. But it was just another example where I felt as if, I, I don't know. I think that the first two episodes really showcased the immense strength of some of those records and some of those songs. And then on this one, for whatever reason, I feel like sometimes the songs off this second trilogy, sometimes they just don't resonate uh, in, in the same way. Particularly the song, with the exception of New Dark Ages, I think that the songs off of New Maps of Hell, I think as a record, I don't know, sometimes a little too much sizzle and not enough steak. And hearing the songs from that record, again, with the exception of New Dark Ages, which is a phenomenal song, I think that song stands alone on that record as as being a lasting uh, substantive track. And the other songs from that record that they played this night, it just kind of took me out of it. I, I felt really... Uh, I don't know. It, it was. I'm still fucking loving. It. It's bad. I, I, I'm not having a bad day, John. You understand what I'm saying? I know you're I just, not. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I have a, I have a slightly different take on it, but some of it's similar. You know, like back to bored and extremely dangerous. I think a song that they've rarely performed live. One of the I've never seen it live before. I saw a video where uh, Graffin is performing it solo uh, in an encore, and then the band comes out to do. I saw that part. Now then that, that was also yeah. done. And, and you, you, you hit it perfectly. It's a beautiful song from a beautiful record that doesn't have a true concept to it, but you're, you've watched a band have its rebirth uh, as it were. And so I, I like that human kind of funny, um, you know, mimicking, mimicking the part, not almost making fun of it, but the, the juxtaposition from the, the beautiful, how that song is a beautiful song to just having fun with it there i think the other things that you bring up is that i think simply put maybe that these these records you know there's there's five records here or sorry four records here from the 2000s simply could be harder to put together in set lists than uh the maybe the 90s were as there was a period of their their life where they were playing those songs in the 90s for a bulk of it so maybe it was a little bit harder to pick out the songs tell a story, create a thread with it than, than perhaps the other decades were. With that said, I think you and I both spoke about this, was that the the, the performance of Sorrow, it was absolutely 100%. Talk about sticking the landing. Nailed it. And it made me think and almost made me emotional watching, watching that. And that one day, what I hope is many years from now, I will miss this band when this band does not exist anymore and taking myself out of the moment and saying you get to you get to live through a a time period where your favorite band exists and you've seen them a number of times live and you're starting to see them in a new way live and just being uh feeling grateful that um about the amount of time that i've spent 
with them in that in that regard. Yeah, I echo that in, entirely. Everything that I previously told you about uh, kind of a uh, you know medium mediocre start, and then kind of a little bit of a weirdness at the end. The last song they played was "Sorrow," and that completely rejuvenated this episode for me, and it brought me to tears. Um, it's happened yeah. a few times uh, with songs this year. I mean, I'm good for you know a good two or three cries every year from hearing something that either I've heard before or I hadn't heard in a long time that you know really strikes me at the, the center of my being. But seeing them play this song and and kind of singing along and watching along made me very emotional actually. And, uh, it, uh, well, it saved the episode. <laughs> well, and it's, it's also, and, and not only just your, you know, how it, how it resonates with you or has showed up for you in, in that moment or showed up for you in your life, but it's one of, it's one of their great defining songs. And it's the song that reintroduced bad religion to the world. Um, when the process of belief came out and it was almost unreal when that song first dropped um, and that it's become the staple through their, uh, you know, 19 years after that record came out and still sounds just so fresh is, yeah, was, was the, there's no other way you could have ended talking about that period of time or that decade um, besides that song. Yeah. Perfect ending. Another thing that really surprised me from this was the defense. Now it's a great mm. song. It's one of my favorite songs off Process of Belief. Yep. And I had never seen them play it. I don't think I'd even seen video of them playing it. But as soon as they started playing it, I thought to myself, this has got to be a difficult song to perform. And I yep. thought they pulled it off really well. I was very surprised because it requires almost a lead vocal uh, participation on Jay's behalf, which motherfucker's a great singer. Um, but it's just weird rhythms and lots of call and responses that are different lyrics from one another. And yeah, I was really blown away by that song. I was really, uh, really stoked to hear it. There are a couple videos of them playing that song in the, in the two thousands and in the early, early 2010s here and there, not very, not very often. I think, uh, it's uh, I, I don't know which songwriter wrote that. I, I'm going to guess it's a Graffin song just from knowing how some of those songs are structured. And though, especially in songs of process of belief, those songs are tricky. Those songs are tricky um, when you actually try to sit down and actually figure them out and how they take focus and attention to, to play those. And I think that sometimes people forget about the expert, the expert level of the people performing those songs is uh, makes it look easy. And a song like the defense is not an easy song with the time changes, the little bridges, the short solo into the, the core, you know, that song is a, that song is a cool song from a songwriting perspective of how, how it ends with that, that last chorus, but that chorus brings in the lyric and the brings in the vocal from the verse, from the verse. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. And yeah, it was really rad to see that on there. Well, let's move on to the last night, the 2010s. I think at least number of songs wise, this was the shortest of them all at 16 songs. Mm -hmm. They had uh, three from the descent of man, six from age of unreason and seven from true North. I think we talked about this last time and 
maybe I was a little too rough on it, but I think that True North is a record that they clearly themselves revere quite highly. And I think that record, you know, they, they're so negative about Into the Unknown, and I quite fancy that record. And they're so enamored with True North. And this is a record that, as you know, didn't really grab me as much. Mm-hmm. They played songs from that record. I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed them more than I thought I would. But I think I want, I just, this was the only night of the four where I really thought, Oh man, I wish I could have picked some other ones. It's a, it's an interesting reflection that you have, and I have a couple thoughts on that. True North is a record that's a heavy graphin written record. I believe I think I think the book states like ten of the songs are graphin songs on there. It also has these deeply personal themes in there, which is uh, different from the let's say the pre the, the previous record, The Descent of Man, which does not seem to get much love in the in the live set or in this uh, in in this venue and you and I've talked about like our love of that record and the production on that record. Cause we also love things and bands like Tom Petty and there's that this rock feel on it. We'll get to that in a second. I think here's the important part to remember about true North is that, you know, right now two thirty two thirty something dudes, you're in your house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm here out in San Francisco for who've been listening about religion for nearly you know, 25 or more years. There are people out there. There are kids out there that this is the first bad religion record that they ever heard. And they believe that this is the best bad religion record. So I try to have lately with this record, I've taken myself out of the equation a little bit and tried to listen to it with a fresh ear, a fresh perspective. And if I'm hearing punk rock for the first or second time, and I'm hearing that song true North for the first time, I'm fucking blown away by or fuck you. Yes. Or I'm like, Whoa, they, they, these, that that's what I'm thinking right now. So I think, you know, we, we all, we have all sorts of bias with this band and always will have bias with this band. So, but that they, 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 they knocked out seven songs from that. I, I was even maybe a little surprised on that. A couple of the songs they chose. I mean, I'm, I maybe didn't, wasn't fiending to hear Dharma and the bomb, but there was someone out there that, that they were so stoked. Well, that was one of the big surprises for me. If they were going to play songs, deep cuts, beyond True North and Fuck You off of True North, I would want to hear Dharma and the Bomb. And when they played that, I was fucking stoked. The other big surprise, which I think you share with me, was that they played Only Rain, which mm. is the second song off The Descent of Man. Yeah. And the first song on that record is The Day That the Earth Stalled, which is really, really kind of fast and short. So it really feels like the record comes into its own with that opening riff of Only Rain. And I think that's something that's paralleled across a, a lot of people around the world in terms of that record. Is There's certainly skippers for some people, but Only Rain was kind of a cherished deep cut, and it's not even that deep into the record. Were you surprised that they played that song as much as I was? This this was a song that I was really, really hoping that they would play. And, you know, we all have, when we go to shows and when we go to shows again, and you, you, you sometimes walk away and you're like, ah, they didn't play that song I wanted to hear, but that's cool. And I was like, man, I really hope they play this song. And I, so maybe wasn't so much surprised, just again, really stoked that they played it because I'd never seen it live before. And, and I've told you before, on, on some of my uh, top lists of bad religion, this is what this sometimes is in my top 10, 15 songs of all time. To me, it is a 
it's a perfect punk song. It's what I would give uh, if aliens visit our planet, if they haven't visited the planet already. This is one of those songs where I say, this is what, when we talk about punk rock, this is what we're talking about because it's, it has an edge to it, but it, yet it's melodic. It has really cool lyrics and it has a ripping Brian Baker guitar solo in it. So for me, it has everything in there. The funny thing is when I was watching it, my internet went out during it and uh, I think I almost lost my ever living shit. And I was, uh, me, me and my, uh, my dog, Mr. Baby for the listeners at home. If, uh, I'm not sure if we covered this last time. I have a little pit bull named Mr. Baby. That's in fact his name. And, uh, he got scared. Cause I was like, what the fuck? So I went back and I went back and watched it and it was, uh, it was just as cool to see, uh, there. But again, some of those, some of these surprising songs on here, you know, I was really stoked that they play the changing tide, which is, uh, what I think the last song or one of the last songs, I think it is the last song from true North, but the really, um, the really cool ooze and Oz in there. And I thought that was, I was super stoked to see that on there. Cause that's, that, that's probably my favorite song from true North. That's interesting. That's really interesting. But There's think- so many songs on that record that just run together for me. Maybe that's why I like Dharma and the Bomb so much is because it's so unique and so different. And I believe Mr. Brett is singing lead vocals on, or at least they're sharing lead vocals on the recording. And Jay, this is another one where Jay stepped up and did a lot of the vocals on it and fucking hit it out of the park. It was fantastic. And I think with with this record, I think part of the, the it almost feels like this monolith presentation because I think that the artwork as well is black, black and white and gray. Yeah. It has that feel of it almost like a, if you've ever seen the movie, the running man where it's like this dystopian future. That's almost how I feel about that's the, the well, world, I have to the take world issue that's presented with that, in true North. Yeah. I have to take issue with that though, John, because the gray race is my favorite record and the artwork yeah. for that record is very plain and, and you know, case in point to the, to the title of the fucking record. It's very gray. And what I, what I will know. say here, I am, I am going to cut in here. Now this is where the, this is where the listeners at home are like these two again on the, on, on the, <laughs> on the, on the gray race artwork, you have all these faces and these faces of humanity and this humanist approach to the black and white uh, thing. It gives you something to look at true North, not as much to look at. Fair enough. Now, and again, for those listening, I'm not burying True North as a fucking terrible record. It's a great record. It's just, you know, my 17th favorite Bad Religion record. Now, when The Age of Unreason came out, mm. I was quite surprised at how much I loved it. It's a yes. top five record for me. And the songs that they played from this are fantastic songs. Lose Your Head sticks out as being very memorable but the one that surprised me the most and that I was most impressed with and excited about was Candidate. And I have a feeling that you share that sentiment as well because I know you love that song. To, to echo something we talked about earlier, when you go see a band and they don't play the song that you're hoping to hear, when I saw Bad Religion in, uh, in Brooklyn last, uh, last summer in 20, 2019 with our, with our really good friends, uh, Alita and Mel, I was hoping, I was like, okay, they're probably going to play a because Bad Religion is known to play a lot of songs from the records they release when they're on the touring cycle. And I was like, okay, Candidate, that just seems like a an app song to play, to perform right now in this time period. And so when I heard it here, ah, yeah, knocked out of the park. And a great song for this time period, but hopefully a great song for future time periods 
to come that deal with the, the same sort of political and social um, terror that um, that we've experienced as of late. And I thought it just yeah, it was performed really, really well. And again, that that entire record, I you and I share the opinion. I love that record, and I was really excited when it came out because it was it was the first Bad Religion record in, in what six years when it came out. And that's a really mm-hmm. long time period. And I remember listening to that record going back and forth to work every day. I traveled a lot in the summer 2019. I remember driving uh, driving along Oahu and being in Hawaii listening to that record. And so it has a special special place for me. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I think it's maybe not every song. Not every song is a 10 out of 10 on that record, but there are a lot of very good songs on that record. Yeah. And they took some chances find it- as well. Yeah, do you find it interesting that a song like Do the Paranoid Style and Candidate, which are both from Age of Unreason, which are very clearly revolving around Trumpism, juxtaposed to a song like Robin Hood in Reverse, which was kind of written around the Citizens United Supreme Court case and has tidbits about Mitt Romney and stuff. And when they were playing that song, I remember thinking, this is a really great song. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it in the moment, I was like, it's so fucked up because this is before the insurrection with this terrorist and like everything. But it was like, you know, things are still a fever pitch because it was Christmas time and New Year's time. And, you know, the president at the moment was just a fucking nightmare. And I found myself thinking that some of these political songs off of that Obama era record don't pack the punch that the the ones off the the next record did, and I wondered, you know, do you think about Bad Religion in terms of what they wrote under Reagan, what they wrote under H.W., what they wrote under Clinton and W. and Obama and then Trump? Because I think a lot of people like Bad Religion and don't necessarily think of them as a political band. Having watched these four shows, do you look back at their catalog and think that they were able to strike a hotter iron during certain times over the past 40 years than at other times? This is a band that I think has done a very good job at writing songs that are relevant. They were relevant when they were writing songs in a garage in what, Woodland Hills, California in 1981 and a song like Fuck Armageddon is relevant now or we're only going to die is relevant now. I think a song like heaven is falling from, from generator, which, which divided heaven has covered before. Like you and I covered that song together in a basement in Brooklyn. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, you know, uses those quotes, uh, a thousand points of light, uh, from George HW Bush's speech. And does that date it a little bit? Maybe, but maybe someone that is 15 years younger than you or I, um, just sees that as a as a line in the song. So I think that what's great, I think what makes songs perfect from any band is that when you can take them from one time period and then apply them to a different time period. So Robin Hood in reverse, as you mentioned, that's a great example. And when they were writing that record, as as any of us, none of us predicted the the administration that would come afterwards. And when they were writing that record, that was before before Obama had been reelected in the 2012 race and you know uh, so who knows what could have happened there but that 
sometimes they have a rallying force that they write around. It doesn't seem often, or it doesn't have to be a political cause either. Like when they were writing against the grain, it was like, okay, we did suffer and we did no control. And now we got to go even further and create an almost, they tried to create a perfect record with that. And they said they almost killed themselves in the process. The empire, empire strikes first was, you know, uh, was the rejection of the Bush doctrine and, and going to war. The age of unreason is similar in that regard that it's obviously Trumpism yeah. shows up uh, heavily in the lyrics there, but it's also what shows up as a, a repudiation of people that do not believe in science, people that are not humanists. Uh, and then that these things have been the, the guiding principles of bad religion is that uh, uh, this humanist take on the world in large way. So while they do have these deep political beliefs, really these are they, they, a lot of their songs make you question things and then go deeper into those subjects. Cause it's not just saying fuck this or fuck that. It's saying um, you know, they deliver a song, let's say like uh, the end of history, for example. And that makes the listener think and maybe do some research on their own and make their own decisions and choices. It's a hard thing for any artist to provide context for something that has already been created, you know, because you can Mm -hmm. look back in hindsight and say, well, actually Melissa militia is quite a political song, you know, whatever, (laughs) like you can do that shit if you want. But I think most people kind of see through it. What I learned and what made me respect this band even more over these four episodes is how well the entire catalog has aged. And part of that is the songs themselves, and part of that is the musicianship. In this last episode, and we'll close with this, we're going to put over the new guys who really aren't that new anymore. Mike on guitar and Jamie on drums. Brian Baker had a great thing. He said, you know, when Mike joined the band, I was still wearing fucking cargo shorts. And we remember (laughs) those years where Brian Baker was just kind of like, you know, the chubby dude who lived in DC, who used to be in Dag Nasty, is in Bad Religion now. And he's just, you know, wearing the Chuck Taylors and the cargo shorts and the baggy t-shirt. And I, I liked how they gave Mike credit for revamping the style and presentation of the band because I think that that brought them out of a band that was popular in the 90s and still doing okay to a band that is going to have the figurative legs to continue well into this century. And Jamie just you know kind of picked up that momentum as well because he adds another layer of vocals. He adds another layer of skill. And I think of all the drummers that they've had, whether he's the best or not is, you know, debatable, but I think he's clearly the most fun to watch. And that was present every time I've seen them since he's been in the band and these four shows. Yeah. I mean, talk about two people that have helped uh, an already great system, like up, up level, um, you know, skill up, upskill, whatever, whatever word, whatever fancy word we want to use for it, but just, man, I mean, make them fucking awesome. And I remember, when you and I saw them in 2017 at Punk Rock Bowling in Las Vegas, and you and I were absolutely blown away at the set, at the presentation that they showed on stage, just being a little bit more put together. Um, you know, the, the 
the sound, you know, the performance, and you know, they 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 mentioned their their sound guy uh, Ronnie several times, and who's been with them for many many years, and just unbelievable. And you're watching this band on it's usually you get used to get when you have bands that are in their mid fifties and uh, you know, cycling down, but this is a band that's getting better and cycling up, and that's why you know it's a uh, one of the tragedies of something like COVID is that you almost feel like you've got a year taken away from them because they would have been on a touring cycle for probably about 13, 14 months. Um, you know, I had tickets to see them in March, late March, 2020 at the, um, at the great American music hall here in San Francisco. And so you hope that, you know, it, it just gives me hope again of seeing them again. And, and, and then hopefully this lineup endures till then. I really hope that this is, um, to, to, to go back to echo what Brian Baker said, it's probably a good note for us to maybe end on is that this idea, this monument of bad religion and that it's their job not to fuck it up. And like this, this crew that they have right now on stage and is the crew to take that forward. And also, and then celebrating the crew that's, that's off stage, whether it's a sound a guitar techs um, and management or whatever, whatever it is. And again, um, it takes a whole team to make this in this, make this happen. And, this is a group of people that came together in California to make this happen. Get, getting on airplanes, masking up, you know, putting putting health at, you know putting health at risk to bring these songs to us at home is something that I think meant a lot to me in a year that was quite challenging at times on macro level, on personal level. That your favorite band was performing for you in your home. It was really awesome. best band on the planet what a great conversation as always with john marullo i'm sure at this point on youtube you could probably find pirated versions of all four of these shows they looked great they sounded great and you should watch them because i'm going to be watching them again anyway until next week thanks again to our new sponsor hello tv if you're a band or an artist and you need new content you need a music video you need to do a live stream concert You need to do something for an award show. Hello TV has you covered. Go to H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V dot com. All right. I'm Jeff Berman, as you know, the host of the Berman Hour podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Let's get it.